This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to VergeCast, the flagship podcast of perceiving the world through screens. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That, the that's, thing I told you about. It's accurate. That no one believed me about. So does that mean our podcast is like very good at first and then sort of slowly gets more annoying over time? <laughs> yeah. You fluctuate. You, it's magic it's until way. it's not. It's the VergeCast. <laughs> it's very good. Quite a lot going on this week. Yeah. As we're recording, we are expecting breaking news from Microsoft about the future of the Xbox. Yes. Yes. So we're just going to react to that in real time. <laughs> and then we'll have Tom Warren come on the next show to explain what's going on. But we'll react to that in real time, I promise you. I'm your friend, Neil. I. David Pierce is here. Hi. I should uh, warn everyone that uh, I have a deeply sore throat. So the like sexy smoldering thing I'm doing is just a one time thing. And it will not be this good to listen to me every time. No, you should keep it. We're going to do an AI. That, we're going to do a sexy smolder AI. OpenAI.com slash sexy smolder. <laughs> Alex Kranz is here. Deeply disappointed I don't also have a cold right now. You can vague it, baby. Yeah, I, I could. I could drop it a little lower. There I don't even go. know how far to go. This is when um, when we first started podcasting on the Engadget podcast ages ago. I was like, I should have a podcast voice. Yeah. But I gave up on that immediately. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, you forget about it. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> How are you? This is my normal voice. And people are like, Jesus. you went with Mickey Mouse? That's my normal voice. <laughs> you don't, I, I actually do a Verge voice at home. I talk like this all oh the time. God. Can you do an impression of your podcast voice for us just real fast? I think Decoder is my fake podcast voice. Oh, interesting. Oh. It's it's a pseudo NPR. I think of that as like Neelai Patel in his study swirling a brandy. Yeah, that's, that's a podcast the yeah. Yeah. Five that's the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same voice. That's right. That makes sense. It's okay. drunk Ira Glass. That's the decoder <laughs> voice. That's what I got for you. Okay. I love this for you. Uh, we got to start with some housekeeping. This is our first Vergecast back on the main Verge YouTube channel. I am told this was a complicated move, but it should be simple to experience. Dave, can you explain what's going on? Yes. Okay. So there are now two channels on which you can experience The Verge cast. We have The Verge's main YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash The Verge, or search for The Verge. That's where all the full episodes are going to live. Uh, we just wanted to have the show and the rest of our stuff kind of be closer to each other, easier to find. And with all the stuff YouTube is doing with podcasts right now, 
it actually makes sense to have those things a little closer together because now you can subscribe to just a single playlist if all you want is the podcast. You can subscribe to the channel and get everything in YouTube and get the podcast and YouTube music. It's all a little weird right now because Google is still sorting out how all of the podcast stuff works. It's very in character for Google. I just want to be clear about that. Yeah, so like all of this is stuff that I think we are doing correctly uh, and just slightly ahead of Google. So hopefully this will continue to make more sense as time goes on. But basically, all the full episodes are going to be on the Verge's YouTube channel from now on. And then we're going to do like clips and extras and silly stuff where we make fun of Neelai off the show uh, on the Vergecast channel. Good. So that's where all that stuff will live. Um, I promise there was a lot of weirdness as we moved all of this stuff. Uh, Liam, our producer, did like a heroic job to get all of this done. It was messy because YouTube is messy, but I think it's done now. People seem to have like found the Vergecast again in all the YouTube platforms. So it should work. And if you don't listen to this podcast on YouTube, don't worry about it. Literally nothing else will change. I hope this makes more sense as time goes on should be Google's motto. I just want to be 100% clear on that. <laughs> we have a product team focused on making this make sense. <laughs> yeah. I hope this makes sense as time goes on is how Google yeah. approaches product strategy at a very high level. Uh, I'll give you one, but one example. And I don't know why this threads post did the numbers it did, except I think it spoke to people's very souls. I bought a big, silly Sony TV. I'm very happy with yeah. it. Yeah. It's an A95 OLED. Ooh. Very, very pleased with this television. It looks amazing. It came with a webcam, which I think is just representative of how deeply overcharged I was for this TV. Yeah. They were like, "It's the, we made so much money, here's a camera. <laughs> Fine. So I'm like, uh, what can this webcam do? Uh, no, nothing. Uh -huh. It can watch you while you watch TV and adjust the settings. Oh. That's a hard no. Yeah. And then it, it there's a Zoom client and there's a Google Meet client. So I was like, fine. Oh, it has gesture controls, which are uh, after the Vision Pro. <laughs> I'm just not doing gesture controls. I know what happened. Oh, my God. This is the best. If this goes where I think this is about to go, this is my favorite thing. I, I clip the camera to the top of the TV yeah. and I launch Google Meet to sign into our staff meeting and basically be a brat at our yeah. staff meeting. And I'm like, where do I type in the code? But you can't. And I was like, okay, where do I switch accounts to my work account? And you can't. Oh. And so they've made a Google Meet client uh -huh. for Android, which this television runs, uh, that can't join meetings. <laughs> but, but what what it can, can it can it just can... call you can just call people with your phone number from mm -hmm. your television, a thing that everyone wants to do. Yeah, no. David, I'm curious for your guess on what happened here, because I think I know. So what happened was Google, in its infinite wisdom, uh, decided that Duo and Meet should not be different things, because when you call one person and you call another person, <laughs> it should be the same thing. Uh, so what they did was they renamed Duo to Meet and then renamed Meet to Meet Original. <laughs> and then... I think I have this right. And then the old duo now meet became Google meet, but I'm guessing what never happened is that your TV never got an update. So you still have Google duo with a different name. Yeah. It, it didn't get up. There's no update available. It's not my TV didn't get an update. 
My TV is hardwired to the router. This is a very insane TV situation. Well, okay, you're right. Google forgot that this TV Google exists. Google forgot <laughs> to update the Meet client so that it could join meetings. Right. It changed right? the name, but forgot to change there's the a, app. There's a Kanban board in Mountain View labeled, we oh, hope man. this makes sense over time. <laughs> and update the Meet client so it can join meetings as a card on that board. And Far it just time. hasn't moved in over a year. Neil, I have to tell you, they they scrummed this, and uh, they didn't. They decided that updating Neil's TV was not a corporate. Priority. It's an Android app. Your TV was a zero a TV interest rate. TV is just phenomenon. a giant tablet. You don't even remember when they were like, "Android tablets are back." We're gonna try hard again. <laughs> remember that? It'll make sense over time. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Makes. We hope this makes sense over time. Don't worry about it. It'll come. Anyway, I uh, I had to audio only join this staff meeting. <laughs> I, like, I was like, I don't even, I can't join from my phone down here. I had all the power. It was great. It was great. Uh, truly. All right. Uh, so we're, we're on YouTube. The upshot of that is one, I can't join meetings for my television. Uh, and two, we are now available on the main YouTube channel. Yeah. Is that about right? That's right. Pretty much. All right. Let's talk about the news. There's quite a bit of news. Let's start with the Vision Pro. It is two weeks after the Vision Pro hit. Which means everybody has to return it now you got to make the big return decision right i look a lot of influencers bought the vision pro to make a bunch of vision pro views on youtube and now they've returned the vision pro yes because why would you keep it but if that if that's your goal like why would you keep it yeah right like you you've you've milked that for all it's that's, worth that's how you used to be able to do like reviews and stuff once yeah. upon a time you just be like yeah i definitely want this very expensive product right i would just say there's a, a clout element to yes. vision pro discourse that we keep pointing out, like Vision Pro thrown at a Cybertruck. <laughs> Subscribe to my newsletter. Like that is a whole. Well, that one can't be returned. <laughs> well, if you get enough newsletter subs, uh, that's true. Um, there's there's just a whole universe of that discourse that I think we can just set aside uh, yeah. as a family. We can agree we're going to set aside the the clout chasing part of the coverage. Then there's a bunch of people who are happy with it and they're keeping it and it works for them and they're excited and they've. They've got big, lonely TVs to watch. That's great. We can talk about that because I think some of that is coming into focus as well. Mm -hmm. Then there's the people who the hype balloon for them popped, and they are genuinely returning it for a variety of reasons, all of which seem fairly predictable. Yes. And I think that it's the gap between the hype and reality that is really disappointing a bunch of people here. So – People are returning it because it's not comfortable to wear. People are returning it because it makes their eyes hurt. They're getting headaches. People are returning it because they are lonely in it or the pass-through isn't what they thought it was going to be. It it feels the like – The Windows management was one I saw. Someone were, returned it over window management? Yeah. They were, like it was one of many reasons. But like a big factor for them was like, yeah, I can't like manage the windows properly. It doesn't feel – If like you are a person it. who had enough feelings about window management to return a $3,500 computer, please – we should hang out. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> Just come on over. Like, we should talk. Uh, but th th that's how I would diagnose it, right, is the things it was promised to do and then the things it can actually do and the product it is now. There is a pretty staggering gap between those two things. Yes. And I think the the thing we've really spent the last week kind of discovering as a society is that it turns out that Apple having a long history of making these things work and having a pr presumably very cool roadmap doesn't mean anything for the thing on your face, right? Like, <laughs> this is what we talked about when we did this review, right? Like, you can talk all you want about 
where this is going and who's right about the future and the big ideas behind all of this and Apple's ability to execute. And I I still have not changed my mind on any of that. I think if you were to bet on a horse in this race, you'd be crazy not to bet on Apple. Just historically, that is true. It doesn't change anything for the fact that you just bought a very expensive thing that is uncomfortable to wear for a lot of people, doesn't do that much for most people's use cases, and is $3,500. And so I think we saw a really normal thing happen, which is a lot of people tried it. It's super cool. Like you went through this too, Neil. Like the first time you put it on, you spend a couple of hours in it, you take it off and you're like, oh my God, that is the most impressive thing I've ever seen. And then the fifth time you do that, you're like, well, it's, I'm not doing this because it's cool. I actually need something out of this. And the entertainment side of things seems to be holding up. Like the people who want to watch a large screen, look at cool panoramic pictures they've taken, whatever, that seems to be working for people. But the question of A, is that enough for this $3,500 headset? And B, can I do that? comfortably like literally physically comfortably yeah is is turning out to be a higher bar i think than a lot of people who bought this thing expected i want to stay focused on that use case i would submit to you if you take your 3500 dollars and you go and buy the biggest tv you can get for that money you will be happier in the long run than owning a first generation vision pro yeah because you can do tiktok at the same time because you can do tiktok at the same you can uh, watch the show with someone else which everyone keeps forgetting like maybe you're a solitary person and we've heard from a lot of people like this and you never have people over to watch tv the one time you want to and your only option is the vision pro you're gonna be like huh there's also just being able to move around not having the weight on your face um there's just something about that that's different yeah. The thing you'll lose out on is the audio side of it, because the Vision Pro is very convincing with spatial audio, especially mm-hmm. if you wear good headphones with it, like AirPods Pro. That's very convincing. And as a travel device on an airplane, I've seen a lot of people wear this thing on airplanes and say, I love, like, for a long haul flight, you're flying New York to San Francisco and you do the immersion and you're just like in space and it, you just don't feel cramped anymore. Great. $3,500 external battery pack. Like, you're still a generation or two behind from that thing being valuable, I would say. But if that's the whole value proposition, you're really missing out on a lot that you should be getting from a computer that can put windows everywhere in your space. Yes. And I keep seeing apps that, like, could be really cool. There's one uh, V-Song and I were laughing at last night. Uh, it's basically a virtual Peloton. Mm-hmm. So you have any exercise bike, preferably one with like Bluetooth that compared to a thing over Ant or whatever protocol that is, um, and it just mounts a big virtual screen in front of you, and then you go on a bike ride. That's cool. That yeah. is cool. I love That's that. Super cool. And then it's like you have to wear a Vision Pro in your head to do it with an mm. external battery pack with the sweat. Yeah, it's like none. It's not made for that. Yeah, like it just isn't made for that. And then there's the other app that everyone keeps talking about, which is the Mac display, and. I thought it was utterly fascinating that a lot of the first conversation you saw from Vision Pro owners was the killer app for this thing is my Mac. Yeah. Which is wild. Like, <laughs> just what? Like, the application model has nothing to do with spatial computing. It's just a big window into your Mac. Uh, the Mac is notably much more open than an iOS or iPadOS-based device. So what you want is your Mac applications. And then you have this big screen and Apple keeps billing it as a 4K screen. And then over time, you started seeing people say, this is actually kind of a little blurry. This isn't as sharp as I thought it was. 
And it's because Apple is making a 5K, like an iMac display or a studio display, they're, that resolution. They're, they're making a virtual one of those at that resolution. And then they're down-resing it to 4K and sending a 4K video stream of that. Lies. Which you can then scale infinitely to whatever weird size you want. And so I called this out in the review, and it was just like one of those things like so hard to explain. It, so much of this device is once you see it for yourself, you get it. But it is really hard to explain. You're looking at the screen that seems sharp, and then underneath it are like five scaling operations. Mm. And then on top of that, there's foveated rendering. So you've made this huge Mac display that is already fuzzy because of the scaling steps in between the virtual display that's created that's 5K that's being scaled down to 4K and sent to the headset. And then you've made it really big. And then if you look at the center of it, the edges of it are blurry because of the foveated rendering. And so people are just sort of running into the reality of what that screen really looks like. And they're like, oh, my application model is still the Mac. I should just use my Mac. Yeah. Right. And I think the other part of that is also... To your point about it's not super clear until you see it, the actual interaction of the Mac apps on my Mac, the Vision Pro apps that are actually optimized for this spatial computing, and the iPad apps that run in the Vision Pro is not good. Like You you can technically have all of those things, but the world you want, and I think the world a lot of people expected, is one where all of my apps are just all of my apps, and some of them run on my device, some of them run on my Mac, but I can just sort of put them all anywhere and they all interact, and that's pretty cool. That is not at all how it works. And I think that, like, the people who are mad about the window management are the ones who are like, well, either the idea of being able to leave my email in the other room is actually like not a good thing. <laughs> it's neat, but it's stupid. And why would I want that? <laughs> or this thing about like, okay, I, I've been promised something like sort of world scale app multitasking. And this is actually a tiny little slice of that. Plus a bunch of other slightly confusing things to me. This is like when they put stage manager on the iPad and you're like, I can see what you were going for here. You just missed it by about 30% and it kind of kills the whole premise for me. <laughs> uh, the two things that I think would make that much better and you can see them and I think that that's the 30%. One, they have to make it smaller. Like the hardware is not ready for the software. Like yes. I, I have come back to that several times. Like one way to think about this is that this is a simulator for the hardware they want to build. And you can see putting windows all over your house and like having digital objects everywhere would be amazing, but then you you have to wear a Vision Pro. And every time I see a cool Vision Pro app, I think, yes, but to have this experience, you've got to put all that weight on your head. And for some people, that's fine. I, I don't want to discount the people who are like, that's great. But the, rea the reality of it is then you degrade, rea like literally degrade reality. You, you are wearing a Vision Pro on your face and the world around you is a lot grainier and there's and motion blur and the pass-through isn't good. And you are prioritizing the digital world over the real world. And I, I just don't think that's an appropriate And the trial. moment you walk into a dark room, you just see mud, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a camera. Yeah. Like, you just cannot overcome cameras. Right. And I have now talked to it because in the review, I basically called the top on Pastor. I was like, it can get better, but it can't get 5,000% better. Right. And if you did, like, by the time you get that much better, some other technology will come along and be disruptive. And very smart people disagree with me on this. I fine you know like who knows but we all agreed that the timeline for that is 10 years out mm -hmm. yeah. and i am just not making any predictions on what happens in 10 years of technology development well and 
I've, like, I think we, a bunch of us in the office have been talking about how would you shrink this headset? Like, did they make a design mistake in it? And a lot of people are like, well, why didn't they just take that computer and put it with a battery pack, right? Yeah. And just take a lot of that weight out. But then if you put it with a battery pack, you'd effectively be carrying around like a Mac mini in your pocket with a battery attached to it. Backpack, full Apple yeah, backpack, like, <laughs> big puffy white straps. You'd need fans to cool it. <laughs> Who knows if it can like actually be fast enough along that wire to to do all the st- all the incredible processing it's doing. Yeah. It's like no, it's actually a really com like I keep going back to it. It's a really fascinating device because it is so complex. It is such a like exquisitely designed device that doesn't do a whole lot. But that part of it where it doesn't do a whole lot, that's because it's new. Like there's no apps for it. Yeah. We saw a report this week from Immersive Wire, I want to say it was, that most Vision Pro apps hit a ceiling of 1,000 downloads. Mm. Like very few people have this product. Like vanishingly few people have this product. Vanishingly few app developers have started building apps that are made for it. But that's, that's a cycle that yeah, that, and that's a, a cycle that's going to continue because if no one's making apps for it, then nobody's buying it, and if no one's buying it, then no one's making apps for it. I do think what's clear is that this is a repeat of the uh, you can't just blow up an iPhone app and have it work on the iPad problem, mm-hmm. which Apple thought that ecosystem would buy it a ton of time, and that it didn't. Like, luckily, <laughs> Apple was able to get the iPad ecosystem going very quickly because the you will just two x your iPhone app and it'll be great was a total non-starter. <laughs> and I think we're going through that again, where it turns out iPad apps are not the answer. Like we, we, what we have seen overwhelmingly so far is people being like, there's some cool stuff. Even Apple now is going into Apple Arcade and saying, here's some of the stuff you can actually use for spatial. It's cool. Uh, this idea that, you know, you have access to this giant set of apps and it will get us there and buy us enough time to get to the next thing. I'm less convinced of every yeah. day because it just doesn't seem to be it it doesn't seem to be sort of satiating people that way. So I want to talk about one more limitation that I think the community has discovered of this thing. And then I want to talk about Mark Zuckerberg reviewing it. Yes, that was the best. Which is deeply, as a professional reviewer, all I could think of is, boy, I hope more CEOs try to take my business. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just get out there soon to our Pachai. Just start reviewing stuff. Be like- Review the Pixel. He should review the Pixel. Sundar Pichai, pick up a pixel challenge. Um, <laughs> pay attention to the pixel challenge. Uh, the other limitation that I think is really weird, and Addy will have a piece on this on the site by the time you're listening to this, the people in the like the Vision Pro subreddit and the people that I've seen in other places online do not think Apple's default fitment is good. Yeah. Right. So they're like, you go in, you get your face scanned, or you do the iPhone scan, and you get a light seal, and all of them are like, get a smaller light seal. Some people are like, take the lights off and mash it against your face, which <laughs> I tried. It is very convincing in terms of field of view. You get a huge field of view. I felt like I was underwater. Like the lenses are not designed to be smashed directly against your eyeballs. But they're like, get a different light seal, make it smaller, like mess with the fit. Because they don't think that the fit that Apple is giving people is right. Which we've discovered Apple really does not want you to do, right? Like it's, They it's, really don't want you to do that. You can't just walk in and buy three light seals and see which one you like the best, right? Because right. they're $200. Well, they're $200. But so like I'll just – I'll make that concrete for if you're listening. We have a review unit. We want more people on our team to use it. We want to make more videos or we have ideas on how to cover it. Even if we bought another one, even if we sent the review unit from Apple back and we just bought one. In order to be fair in coverage, as more people use the thing, we have to make sure it fits them. Because if it doesn't fit right, the eye tracking goes completely wonky and people get headaches. 
So, okay, I told Owen, our video director, let's just go to the Apple store, just like buy a bunch of light seals. Turns out there are 17 sizes. <laughs> there are $200 a piece. And Apple won't let you just buy some. Yeah. You cannot go to an Apple store and just buy some. They keep them in a drawer. Behind, like, you have to ask someone and then they'll be So like, Owen, yeah. who made the Vision Pro video, with, like Owen was on that team. He edited that video. Uh, they made him sit for the demo, the full half hour demo, and then they let him buy one in his size. And it's like, why? Like, just we want to give you money. Yeah. Up to $4,000. <laughs> like, if you walk into any store and you're like, I'll just, here's $4,000. Just give me one of everything. Few stores in America will be like, no, you just actually, there's a process here. Yeah. yeah. Hermes uh, would be like, get out. Yeah. You get one. Yeah. And when you think of the Vision Pro light seal, you immediately leap to Hermes. A hundred percent. Same yeah. experience. Same. Like I walk in, I'm like, ooh, do I have enough money to be in here yeah. right now? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Barney's, Hermes, and the Vision Pro light seal in terms of luxury purchasing experiences. You can't just buy a Ferrari. You got to buy a bad Ferrari first. Yeah. You can't just buy a Vision Pro light seal. <laughs> You got to sit down for 30 minutes first. So that is annoying on its face if you buy it for enterprise use. I've seen a lot of designers like we bought one for our office so we could like share it as a 3D modeling tool. And they're like, it, this is just like not designed to be shared. If you spend $3,500 uh, to have it as a cool TV, it is challenging to get it to fit the other people. That's just physically yeah. You can accomplish the goal, but it is challenging to be like, this computer is available for someone in this office to use. Here's a selection of things that make it fit your head. It's so consumer hostile. The, so the there's a, I think there's a is connection the here. Yeah. I, I, it's too new. Yeah. I think they just shipped the thing. There's like, you know, you all know how I feel about headphone jacks. Like, yeah. That was a hostile move. This is like the product isn't ready to support that thing. And the way that it's in particular not ready is iOS and iPadOS have no affordance for multi-user support. Yeah. So the Vision Pro, it, it has optic ID in it. It can scan your eyes and log you in. It should be able to scan my eyes or your eyes or David's eyes or someone else's eyes and be like, here's your account. You're you. We know you're you. Here's your account. And here's their stuff. And it has nothing. And, like, on top of it, it has none of the, like, uh, recalibrations mm. stored. So if I have one, if I have a Vision Pro and I lend it to you, Thanks. every time I lend it to you, you have to recalibrate. I have to put it in guest mode and you have to recalibrate it for your eyes. Yeah, that's stupid. That has to. That was a deliberate choice, though, right? That has to have been a deliberate choice by Apple to make it hard for you to share this thing with but people because why? for all the reasons you've been talking about that the hardware is not set up for success for you to be sharing this but thing. But why? That's why I think it's a hostile because they because never. Because it's not finished. But they <laughs> yeah, cannot because... possibly. Like, it's hostile. When, like, I don't think it's like I Apple ho is like, hostile. Okay. So let me explain why I think the headphone there. jack is hostile. Let me yeah. rewind this oh, conversation. They took out the headphone jack. They didn't need to, especially as the phones started getting bigger. Mm -hmm. They did that because they wanted AirPods to succeed. AirPods are a huge success. I know people love their AirPods. I know people think we were wrong about AirPods. They basically created a market for proprietary headphones. Yes. AirPods are proprietary headphones. Yes. Like, I know they run on Bluetooth, but they actually run a oh. special version of Bluetooth. Gen Z gets you on that one. They, they, they're they all like, they're, can you believe they, they got rid of the headphone jack? <laughs> Who allowed that? And yeah. I'm like... We wrote about it all the time. I, I did my best. But, like, that was straight hostile. Like, they created a market for proprietary yes. headphones, and they flooded the market with their own headphones. And yes, I'm aware that people really like them. 
whatever, it's a thing that happened. Not allowing multiple users on the iPad at this point in the iPad's history, a little bit hostile. Hostile. Like, yeah. You have families, people share Schools. their iPads. Schools. There, there's some enterprise support yeah. for shared accounts uh, on iOS devices if you're in a school or a business. But a regular person who spends five, six, seven hundred dollars on iPad that is not a family device by any stretch of the imagination is locked to one user yep. because Apple wants you to buy multiple iPads. They want everyone right. in your family to have an iPad. Okay, there's some just raw capitalistic user hostility there. Yeah. Fine. They're the richest company in the world. What a shock. I think with the Vision Pro, there, there's no expectation that a family of four is going to buy four Vision Pros. No, I And agree. I, I think that that's why I'm like not ready to call it. I, 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 I think, think they just shipped the product that was done. I think it was hostile design. I don't think it's necessarily like Apple was set out to, to had a big vision here. I think it was just, well, we want to make this thing as cool as possible. And that means we need to make it as finicky as possible, regardless of what that means for like use cases for other people, because we want to make it as cool as possible. And that's hostile to the users because then they can't share it. They can't do anything with it. They have to, they do have to go buy another one or they have to go buy a $200 light seal if they want to have that experience. And like, I don't want to say the Quest Pro is a good product, but that part of it. I just remind everyone, we gave the Quest Pro a four. Yeah. And the headline was, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. But could you put it on, like, <laughs> when you put it on your head, did it fit? Did you have to go buy a $200 light seal to make sure it worked? Oh, no. So I I, I don't buy that premise at okay. all, honestly. Like, if yeah. have you ever put on somebody else's headset and you spend 15 minutes screwing around with the lenses and the strap to get it to fit your head? Like... I, it's there's just I no love that, world like, in which you have a good experience using these things. Ironically, right. it's one of the reasons I think Meta Ray Ban strategy is closer to the right one because that's just a pair of glasses that is yeah. much closer to a thing you can just put on anyone's head and it will more or less work. Yeah. You might look stupid in them, but it's just a pair of glasses. Uh, whereas something like this is just by definition so individual user centric that I think for Apple to say, Oh, share it with your friends. They're going to have a trash experience in it. It's actually a bad idea. Like I think if, if no, I think to- it was a bad idea. What I'm saying is go for the back. I think it was a bad idea to design a product. Well, you're just arguing it was a bad used- idea to ship the vision pro, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, like that's to just ship that, it we, in that the state <laughs> to say, Hey, we we're going to charge you $200 for a light seal. Hey, we're going to make it so extraordinary for one person and no one else. I think that's just inherently hostile to design. I will say, I do think an interesting question that is becoming more and more open is whether Apple overshot. Um, And this is where we should get into Mark Zuckerberg's review of this thing, because it's part of the case that he made, which is that Apple basically came out and said, we are going to make the best, most impressive, most incredible thing possible. Every other consequence be damned, right? And it did that. By all accounts, like I don't, I don't think it missed in terms of doing the best anyone possibly can at, at this moment in time on very many fronts. Is doing that a better idea than making something that is eighty five percent as good and maybe half the weight? Don't know. It, like, is, is it something that Apple should have shipped that was much closer to just a screen and an entertainment device as opposed to trying to do all of this other stuff? These, I think this roadmap Apple has set itself on where it made the best thing possible and it's just going to try to bring it down in all of those ways over time towards people is a strategy. But I think it's it's less and less obvious to me that it's the right one because it's like you you want that to be the luxury thing that not everybody can afford, but everybody who can really loves. 
And even that is not what it's getting right now. It's not right. like the Tesla Roadster or the super expensive first luxury item you see from a lot of companies. It's not even working for those people. It's not the the Samsung flip phones, right? Yeah. Like like that was that was the thing. It was like, okay, there's a lot of flaws in this. If you peel this part off, it will destroy it and then <laughs> Samsung will not be happy. Yeah. But like it still worked pretty well and more I mean, yeah, more than one person could use it, but it actually did the it, it delivered on the promise. And this feels like it doesn't But, but the promise there was just it unfolds. Yeah. It was a much simpler <laughs> right, the promise. The promise that Apple is making is we will intermediate reality for you. And that was perhaps too big a promise to make. <laughs> uh, I think David said this uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago, which is with the Apple Watch, and so so many people have compared the Vision Pro to the Apple Watch, which I'm just gonna Remind everyone I got right in that review, too. Uh, <laughs> but the Apple Watch underwent drastic, drastic changes. But, David, I think it was you who said this a couple weeks ago. They got the form factor right. Everyone yes. knew that this is how it should look. And all you're doing is refining the thing around the shape that it should be. And here, it just seems obvious that the form factor isn't right. Right? That yep. they shouldn't do pass-through in this way. That what you want is all – you want glasses. So I think that does bring it to the Zuckerberg review, which, again, I think every CEO should just review their competitors' it's products like head on. 100%. David, do you want to tell us what's going on with Mark? Sure. Okay, so let me let me just briefly set the scene for you here. So Mark Zuckerberg and his newly long hair, um, which I'm shocked we have not talked about in this show yet, but <laughs> we'll just leave that. Uh, sitting on a couch in a, in a you know, dark, long-sleeve shirt, I think, uh, with an immaculately fluffed pillow behind him, lovely setup. Did a, I don't know, what, maybe five minutes or so, just kind of riff on his experience with the Vision Pro, how he feels about the Quest 3 compared to the Vision Pro. Because there were a lot of people, remember when this came out, who were like, oh, the Quest is dead. Uh, Meta actually rushed to launch the Quest 3 ahead of the Vision Pro. These two things have been very closely pitted against each other as sort of opposite ends of this strategy for a very long time. And... He sat down and, and basically, we should just play a clip here, but he basically said at the end of his experience, he thinks not only is the Quest 3 a better value, he thinks it is straight up a better product than the Vision Pro. Yeah. Pull over in your car and just look at this man's hair and then listen to his voice. <laughs> I think the Quest is the better product, period. And, you know, the different companies made different design decisions for the headsets. They have different strengths. But overall, Quest is better for the vast majority of things that people use mixed reality for. And that's a good line, right? Beautiful hair, too. I, it's great hair. Um, it is, like, lustrous. Uh, yeah. That's what punching other men in the face will get you. <laughs> <laughs> just gets the, the follicles going. Yeah, he's just rocking. Um, healthier than ever. Uh, by the way, you know uh, mixed martial arts is listed in Meta's risk factors with investors? Yes. Our, so good. Our CEO good. Made, made deeply injure himself fighting other humans. Uh, very good. Anyway, so the point there, right, is... Everyone thought, okay, does $500 get me 85% of a Vision Pro? And honestly, in the review, we didn't talk about the Quest a lot in our review because they they feel very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now what Zuckerberg is trying to do is actually make them more competitors. So See, he, I don't even saying, know if I agree with that. I think you don't. part of his take, I think, is that they're actually very different things, that everybody wants them to be trying to do the same thing and sort of compete on what they can do for different people. And it's like, oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Should I buy a Quest or a Vision Pro? And his whole point is kind of 
you can't do any of that stuff on the Vision Pro. <laughs> yeah. Like the the quest, and I will say the single funniest thing about this whole video to me was the moment where the camera flips around and it becomes clear that he's filming this thing on a Quest Three, which yeah. just means there is a person sitting there, very still, <laughs> just staring at him with a headset yeah. on, just and like you do with the Vision Pro at your child's birthday party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like next time we make a video, Neil, I'm just gonna stare into your eyes the whole time. It's gonna be incredible. Uh, but he it's it's a big part of what he talks about and I think is the most compelling part of Zuckerberg's case here is that for all the stuff people actually want to do in a headset like this right now we can talk about 10 years from now we can talk about the big far future of headsets for everybody but in terms of like right now what people want to do inside of a headset there's just more of that in the quest yeah there's yeah. more games there's more apps there are there is you can do three Mac windows if you want to yeah. although setting that up is a Byzantine nightmare of (laughs) soft, like what I call software dongles. Oh yeah. You don't want, it's not great. You have to download a bunch of apps that just sound like malware in order to like, it's bad. Yeah. The, and and you're like, I'm I'm sending my entire screen to meta. (laughs) No, thank you, sir. I don't care what your hair looks like today. No. Uh, so you're not actually sending your entire screen to meta, but you understand what I'm saying. It's a nightmare of weird applications. And, Mark actually calls it out. Like their eco Apple's ecosystem is great. But if you want to play a bunch of games or you want to do fitness, if you want to control the thing, you have high resolution controllers, which he calls out very specifically. And the heart of what he's getting at, and I think this is really interesting because you rarely see CEOs acknowledge this. He's like, we made different trade-offs than Apple. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we think our trade-offs make a better product, period, not just a cheaper product, not just a better product at our price point. And he comes back to that over and over again. And you, if you go listen to any CEO ever talk about their products, I talk to a lot of CEOs and a lot of decoders, like, you made this trade-off. How did you make that choice? And they're like, we didn't make any trade-offs at all. All the time. Yeah. Like, all the time. Especially Apple refuses to acknowledge that they made trade-offs. Right. Like, in the review process, we're like, why is the battery over here? And they're like, yeah, we want to save weight on your head. And that is as much of a trade-off <laughs> because as Because it want. is meant to be over here. <laughs> it's like, Jesus wanted it that way. <laughs> and it's like, there's that one you can't avoid. But everything else, they're like, these are the best displays ever made. Yeah. And then Mark is there being like, we've looked at these displays, and they are OLED displays, and they have exactly the kind of motion blur that you would expect from OLED displays. Our lenses are better. The Meta really believes the Quest 3's pancake lenses are better. They have a wider field of view. So we lose X from the displays, the resolution that Apple has in their displays, but we gain X in the lenses. I'm not saying these are the right trade-offs. I'm not saying these are the trade-offs that make you buy anything. I'm saying a CEO acknowledging the trade-offs in a product category is wild, like fully wild. And I don't know if you saw this, Alex. A lot of people were like, this is Zuck's Balmer moment. Oh. Where Balmer was like, $500 fully unsubsidized of the plan. I like our phone better. <laughs> and that's, there's an element of that to what Zuck was oh, doing. Oh, no, I, don't, I, I disagree. I thought I, it felt more like a victory lap, like a legit victory lap. Wow. Part. Okay. That's how you took it. Yeah. Because I, you know, V put up a, a story this week that I worked with her on about the the visions of these two companies because they both the end game for both of them isn't VR it's AR right like both of these companies are waiting eventually the technology is going to get there and they're going to do face computers and that's what everybody wants um, spatial they, computing after fifteen days of the vision okay Pro, excuse me can we say everyone wants a face that's computer? what everyone in Silicon Valley wants <laughs> uh, that's what all the VCs want yeah but 
But I think like their their strategy is a much smarter strategy. And I think when you think about how you have to normalize these products because they are really big, really wild and really insane, you have to normalize that. Like it's it's going to be require a cultural shift. And Meta has is moving with much smarter purpose in that direction than Apple, who is like face computer that looks like ski goggles. Put it on your face. It's way too heavy and you might throw up. It'll be fine. And and Meta's like, OK, well, we've got like these glasses that just look like glasses and you can't do as much. But you can still do like you can still like scan photos and stuff like that, which is really, really cool. And And they've got the VR headsets that actually like do VR well. Yeah. Which, like, I think that's just a better strategy. I, I think I think he's right. And and when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is him just taking this victory lap and also making some egregious claims like Meta is going to be the open ecosystem. Yeah, which is bananas. Yeah. Are they going to let Lenovo build quests? I, I was like, I was like, oh, are you just yeah. announcing that everybody's going to be making headsets for, for Meta OS? What they what they mean, from what I understand, is that you can sideload applications on a quest. Okay. No, what Meta means is if you build something cool, we'll just buy your company. <laughs> and that's that's an open model. That yeah, counts. it's an open ecosystem because you get rich. Yeah. It, what yeah. they, they mean in every phase of computing, there's Apple being weird. Yeah. And then there's everyone else being like, what if we work together? And then yeah. there's Apple being weird yeah that part i was like oh i feel like you're like you you had me this whole time your hair looks great you're like you're speak you're yeah. saying the things that i really do think about this whole field and now you've just lied you he does keep something. saying that they will be the open player in vr and it's really unclear i was like i really want to sit him down with like a computer historian to explain to him computer history so that he understands that what he is saying is not true. Oh, I'm sure he has access to computer historians. <laughs> he probably does. He probably, but he doesn't listen. He should I, listen I think there's them. a there's just a way of positioning yourself up against the big bad of Apple that he's yeah. taking advantage of. But I think right now what they have is sideloading apps. Yeah. yeah. But I will say also, to your point, Alex, I think one thing I'm really starting to realize is how significant Meta's lead is just having been at this in public for a decade. Because, again, like, Neil, I go back to the Apple Watch. Y you launch the thing, and then you wait around for a couple of years for people to tell you what they want from it. And then it's your job to kind of chase that and figure it out, right? And Apple is good at that, generally, and does it very quickly and relies on its developers to do it for them. Meta's been at that for 10 years now. Like, the thing where here's a thing on your face, it's kind of ugly, and you'll probably throw up. Like, you know what that sounds like is the first three Oculus products. <laughs> uh, that's just what it was. And it turned off a lot of people. And we all, you know, hemmed and hawed about whether a whole generation was being turned off by their first experience in VR because it was so bad. But now it's been at this long enough that it's pretty good at it, and it has a pretty clear sense of what people want right now. And I think... That's where things like the meta Ray-Ban stuff come from. It's like, oh, people want super immersive, and that's either like gaming or the fitness stuff. They want to be in another world, or they want as little technology as possible. And so it, they've pushed to both ends of that, and I think are able to do it. Whereas Apple very much just put out a tech demo, and we're like, is this anything? Like, it's starting <laughs> at that road now. Yeah. And meta has been on it for a long time. I would say that there's a, there, I think there's a little bit of a danger of the bomber problem in mm. that Apple is relentless. Yes. And they do stay focused. The difference, the difference. And they have all the money in the universe. Is that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is not Steve Ballmer. Yes. It's just, a, just an observation that I've made over time. <laughs> I've studied these two men very carefully. Uh, I think Meta is more reactive to consumers and that Ballmer's Microsoft was much more reactive to enterprise. Yeah. 
That's and so, 100%. and they just, and that version of Microsoft, not Microsoft now, but that version of Microsoft in particular was addicted to making the ugliest shit possible. <laughs> yes. They were just like, it's Windows Mobile 6.5. It's the same Windows Mobile that you've hated all this time, but now the stock launcher is a honeycomb. Also, <laughs> that won't be there, and carriers can do whatever garbage they want. And it's like, this isn't a good idea. We made the icons smaller. <laughs> <laughs> this worst. is bad. Yeah. And Apple was able to for And so I think there are some meaningful differences here because they have been in market with a complete consumer product. I'm not saying... I have a Quest 2. You have a Quest... Like, lots of Quest 2s out there. Some Quest 3s. Apple's coming at this from a different direction. I'm not saying they won't succeed. But I think after two weeks with this thing, like, the the barriers are are just crystal clear. Yeah. In a way that the barriers to the Quest are also crystal clear. And I... They're going to converge more than they don't. But saying, like, Apple revitalized this market, I think, is... Generous. Yeah, and with the watch, they had a huge advantage, which was no one else could make a watch. Well. No, I mean, like, literally, like, the iPhone does not allow other watches. Oh, that's true, yeah. You Like, Pebble existed. And I was like, just, yeah, I was just, I was like, Pebble was a great No, but if, if you want to do the thing where like, you get a text message and you just respond, yes, like, Pebble was not allowed to yeah. do that. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, okay, let me pull my phone out. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, is there anything else we No, say? we've oh. talked enough about the Vision Pro. I like that we just spent 40 minutes being like, everybody's returning this product. Let's talk about it. Oh, I did. it is the most fascinating product. It is Apple's first big bet. I want to talk about it. I just want to end on this. Mm-hmm. I want everyone to do this homework and send me your evaluation. We've talked a lot about my theory of wearable bullshit. <laughs> Whatever that is, where the chart is value on one axis and then like fiddliness yeah. and then a 10x multiplier if it's on your face. That's as far as I've gotten on this. So an Apple Watch started really fiddly with not a lot of value, eventually crossed the line, and now people really like Apple Watches. We all have one. Yeah. Uh, AirPods, not very fiddly at all. Super valuable. People really like them. Face computers, historically below the line. (laughs) Very fiddly, enormous social cost, not a lot of value. Yeah. Where do you think the Vision Pro is on the graph? Send me your graph. We'll, We'll just go through them. I'm dying to know what you all think after this, be because great. that's fiddliness. No, it's value on the, uh, the values on the y-axis, fiddliness on the x, and then a 10x multiplier for <laughs> on your face. That's it. Th- those are that's what I think it is. There's an entire episode where we go through this, so I'm just you go back and look at that one if you want more versions of the graph. But just send me your graphs. I, I'm dying to know what you think about the theory of wearable bullshit is applied to vision credit. All right, we have to take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're back. As we've been recording, vamping to fill time with the Vision Pro, <laughs> Microsoft has been quietly making announcements in the background on a on a podcast, I believe. Yes. The weirdest way ever to announce things. <laughs> we've been recording a podcast while they have been publishing a podcast, and now our podcast will be about what they said on their <laughs> podcast. Does it do we now directly compete with the Xbox? <laughs> yes. <laughs> download ours. Don't don't download the Xbox. Phil Spencer <laughs> just went on a podcast and said everything the Verge said is true. <laughs> and always has been. <laughs> All right, Alex, what is going on in the news over there? Okay, so there's been rumors for the last few weeks that Microsoft was going to take a couple of games and that are exclusive for the Xbox and make them not exclusive. Put them on the Switch, put them on the PS5. Fans were not pleased about that. Can you explain that to me? Actually, I have realized in all of this chaos that I don't understand why people would be so up in arms about that. Well, I think if you go and you spend a lot of money on a product... And you invest a lot of time and energy into it and, like, buying a lot of games for it. And then – and you're like, yeah, I don't get, like, The Last of Us and I don't get Horizon Zero Dawn and I don't get all these cool PS5 games. But I get – was it Starfield? And and I get uh. Sea of Thieves. And then they say, okay, now Starfield is going to go off and be on, on PS5. I would probably, like – I'd probably be a little miffed. So you're like, maybe I should have just bought a PlayStation and now I get all right. The games. Like, why did I even buy okay. an Xbox to begin with? I get that because they're like five, six hundred dollars. That's expensive. Uh, so Starfield is not coming to the PS5, but Sea of Thieves, Grounded, Hi-Fi Rush, and Pentiment are coming to the PS5 and the Switch. Um, first, Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment, then Sea of Thieves and Grounded. Sea of Thieves is like a really pretty popular Xbox game where you can like be a pirate and you go play with other pirates. It's cute. It's fun. It's a big like it's almost an MMORPG, but not quite. Uh, these are these are pretty popular games for Xbox, and now they're going to be on PS5 and Nintendo Switch. And can I, wait, can I just say something about yeah. this? Microsoft has not actually officially confirmed those four games. What? Tom. Tom is has conf- reported and knows that it's those four games. Yeah. But Microsoft won't confirm that those They're are. They're just the saying so four weird. games, but they are not. They they've pretty clearly said it's not going to be Starfield, and it's not going to be uh, the rumored Indiana Jones video game that's coming out. So it's out. not any of the big games. I mean, like yeah. realistically, like. Yeah, Microsoft has a handful of like gigantic things in its arsenal now, and none of the games you just named are those yeah. games. Like Xbox fans, please don't come for me. But but if you're not like a big hardcore Xbox fans, these are are probably not the biggest games in the world. It's it's no, nowhere compared, nothing compared to like The Last of Us or Uncharted or some of PlayStation's exclusives. I'm horrible at video games, and all of these sound like 
fun names for thieves in a comic book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Pentiment. <laughs> I'm Sea of Thieves. Like like rejected musketeers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's high fire rush. Like But it's it's this was like a this has been a big deal for the community. Tom actually got to talk with Phil Spencer about it. There was a big interview and I've definitely been maybe uh editing that that little wow. interview, looking at that stuff. I maybe I maybe knew a little ahead of the podcast what was <laughs> what was coming or not coming. Spoilers. Uh, and I thought what was really interesting was he was very evasive in, in the interview with us about like what games were coming and what games weren't coming. He wasn't really commit to anything. Um, he And when asked specifically about Starfield and Indiana Jones, which are the ones I think fans are most concerned about losing that that access to or losing that exclusive access to, uh, he said, you know, I don't think we should as an in- industry ever rule out a game going to any other platform, which is – you know, if you just want to be able to play any game, like you, Neelai, who is bad at games and probably doesn't want to own every system, that's great news for you. If you're really invested in one ecosystem, that's less great news because, like, the console wars. Yeah. So a really interesting thing here that I am hoping you can explain to me. I have for years now assumed that the Microsoft strategy is game streaming. Yes. Right, they're slowly moving to Xbox game streaming. They bought Activision. Mm-hmm. They they want to be everywhere. And Phil Spencer has said to me, like, we are bad. We're we're the number three player in video games, and the in future, consoles. In consoles, and if you look broadly, all the action is on phones, and we got to go there. Yeah, and that has always felt like a hint of we're going to go do game streaming. Now there's the Digital Markets Act. Apple has to open up different stores. Apple has said they're going to allow game streaming. So you look at this shift and it is not that. They're not putting Xbox Game Pass on the PS5. Right. They're just porting four titles to the PS5. Yeah. And people were that upset about it. But th- that's the part that I don't get. It's like, why? That's a lot of work. Like, isn't the point that we're going to stream the titles over there? It's not, like, given the, the architecture of these consoles now, it's yeah. not as hard a work as it used to be because they both run on the same, like, AMD kind of architecture. It's, it's different enough that it's, like, it's not, like, just point and click sure. and you immediately transfer, but, but it's not as hard as it used to be. I think this is all kind of part of showing that they're friendly and that they're not going to create a... Uh, a monopoly in gaming because right now they they own Activision Blizzard, which was like one of the largest game companies. They are effectively one of the largest game companies in the world right, right. now, right? Like I think Tencent and maybe Nintendo are the only thing that might even come close to them. Uh, so just absolutely enormous. And if they want to say, okay, no more Call of Duty on PS5, in 10 years they can do that. So this – No, but they ran around the world right. promising any government promi- official yeah. that they would ship Call of Duty for at least five more years, right? Like, 10, 10. 10. Yeah. So so they're like committed for the next 10 I years. I mean there are like feudal stuff. lords in European countries and that I, you've never think- heard of that have secured a 10-year commitment for Call of Duty. <laughs> and they're, they're trying – and like a feudal lord, they're trying to show how magnanimous they are, right? <laughs> they're trying to show, yeah, yeah, we, we, we got you. We want to be everywhere all at once, but we also don't want to destroy all of our competition because we need them – to sell games. Oh man, that is so charitable and so wrong. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Where do you, what's your read on it? So I, we like, we should. It's I, I'm, you're probably right, honestly. But I don't know. We should we should cut off here because I think uh, we're gonna have Tom on the show on That's Tuesday, true. who knows clearly more about what's going on than anyone at Microsoft. So Tom's <laughs> going to explain what's going on here. But Neil, I, I would just point you to uh, the Xbox One 
And the thing where Microsoft said, hey, here's a console that plays all of your games, but we're doing it in a slightly new way. And also a different thing happens when you turn on your TV and gamers just about burned the buildings down at Microsoft. Like this business is too big to screw up. And if you're Microsoft and you're out here saying game streaming is the future, we're we're moving these three games you've never heard of and Sea of Thieves over and people lose their minds like Microsoft is going to play this the slowest possible way because it is desperately afraid of losing this little bit of love that it has in the gaming community. Like, I, I do actually agree with Alex that there are some reasons to be worried about the antitrust ramifications of just running roughshod over the gaming industry, which in theory, Microsoft could afford to do. But also, um, pissing off gamers goes real bad for everybody, and Microsoft knows that better than anybody. And so yeah. it, is, it is going to take this the slowest it yeah. feels like it can afford to take Which this, is I think. why there's a lot of rumors. We, we wrote a piece this week, like Tom really thinks a handheld is coming. He'll talk more about it with David on uh, next week. Uh, Sean also fully wants... Uh, he wants to manifest a handheld that's like a Steam Deck with Xbox built in. Like, I am rooting for Sean because I think that will be cool, too. But they, they did tease some, like, unique hardware coming. They've, they've teased that some bigger hardware is coming down the line. Phil Spencer keeps liking tweets about... Yeah, he keeps liking tweets on. about handhelds. And they keep, in in this conversation he had with Tom, he said, yes, yeah, unique stuff's coming. So, like... A handheld is coming. Like, yeah, like, a, a handheld it's is coming. coming. Is it going to be, like, a good handheld? Or is it going to be more like what Sony, like, farted out? We'll see. All I, right. Yeah. Sorry. We'll come back. Tom will be on the show. We'll unpack all of it. Yeah. I'm legitimately confused about why port four games to another console. I'm going to like. If your we're strategy gonna, is to be everywhere and the problem is phones. We're going to throw you into the Xbox like Reddit and just I think the confusion will <laughs> go can away. I, can I interest you in gamers? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, it's Hi-Fi Rush. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they were mainly concerned. I think they were more concerned about Starfield, which it sounds like is not going to be in this initial run. So to be fair, that was the one they were really passionate about because it just came out. They're like, don't do this like this. But I would bet you $10 that if Microsoft had its druthers and was not afraid of the ramifications, Starfield would be in this. Oh, 100%. Like Microsoft's strategy includes Starfield and Indiana Jones being available everywhere. It just yeah. does. It's coming. It's just they're going to be like six months from now. They'll be like, oh, it came out. Don't worry about it. Don't worry yeah. about it. Phil Spencer is just like quietly tiptoeing in slippers towards the future <laughs> that he is promising. Like that's that's where we're at here. High up on the tippies. Exactly. Oh, my God. High heels on the tippies. Yep. Yep. I know. There I we know. go. I said it all the way to work it's, today. It's, that's how I walked It's the next line that's the real problem. Yeah, I'm not going to finish it. Let's just move on. We're good. We're good here. I love TikTok. <laughs> All right, that's that's Microsoft, and again, Tom will be on the show, and we'll we'll try to figure out what all this means. We should talk about AI briefly before our lightning round. By the way, two more people have asked me how to sponsor lightning round, and the answer is that for all my jokes about taking your money, that's not my job. I don't know how. <laughs> that's not what we do here. Just Venmo him. The influencers know how to take money. They, that, but we are. We just do disclosures and other people take the money. <laughs> so we'll figure it out. I promise someone else is going to take your money. Uh, but we should talk about AI quickly and then do a lightning round. We mentioned at the top of the show that Google's strategy is very much, we hope over time this makes sense. I would say that my understanding of the Gemini product roadmap right now fits perfectly into over time we hope this makes sense. Because they announced Gemini Ultra, which is 20 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. 
And then, David, you just wrote about Gemini 1.5 Pro, which they're like, is as good as Gemini Ultra. What, it's, it's fantastic. What is going on here? So, Google... Um, in case you've wondered if Google is good at naming things now because they decided to name everything Gemini and that seemed like it made sense. Don't worry, my friends. Google still sucks at naming stuff. Uh, there are, I think, four different product names between the Gemini product that you use and the Gemini subscription that you pay for. There are four different product names. But at any rate, so uh, Gemini 1.5 is basically Google's new next model. Uh, it makes sense. Everybody's always working on these next models. Um, I was talking to Sundar Pichai, their CEO, about this yesterday. And one of the things that he told me was he thinks that over time, eventually, these numbers won't matter to people. And all of this stuff will just sort of happen in the background. He compared it to Google search, where like search doesn't get new version names. It just kind of gets better over time. I want to point out that Sam Altman said that a million times before announcing GPT-4. Just saying. Oh, sure. And there's 3.5 and there's 3.5 Turbo and there's GPT-4 and now GPT-5 is apparently a thing even though he said it wouldn't matter. Like, all of this is insane. Um, but we're going to get to that point eventually. But right now, we're very much in this arms race. And I think especially the way you have to understand the arms race is these two companies in particular, OpenAI and Google, are in a massive land grab for developer resources, right? Like if if every company on earth is at some point going to have an AI strategy, and at this moment that's what it looks like, there are basically two players right now they can give a whole lot of money to. And there is a lot of money in winning that. Like think about what AWS did for Amazon, right? Because it was mm. early to we're very good at giving you developer resources in the cloud. There is now a belief that the market for AI is going to be even bigger and happen even faster. So these companies are just running as fast as they possibly can. And they honestly don't care all that much if the version numbers don't make any sense to us as users. But so Gemini 1.5 is coming out. And at some point, it will just sort of wholly replace Gemini 1.0. Uh, and there's the three sizes of it. There's Ultra, which is like the big full model, all the epic stuff. The Pro, which is the middle one, which is the one that most consumers see. And then there's Nano, which is specifically designed to run on people's devices. Google hasn't talked much about Nano yet on any of its Gemini stuff, but that's an, I think, interesting piece of it. The big thing with Gemini 1.5 is that its context window is much bigger. And essentially what that means is you can just put a lot more stuff into it at a time. Uh, when you... Uh, there's a bunch of like weird, complicated math to do, but typically they say it's like three quarters of a word is a token, and Google's context window for Gemini 1.5 is a million tokens, which is a lot of words. You can do hours of video, hours of audio, all kinds of different stuff, so you can just plug all this in and then ask questions about it, do stuff with it, uh, and they have, they have big ideas about what people might do with this huge context window, and uh, there's a lot coming. So we could put like the entire B movie in there <laughs> and then find out like if we were supposed to really think there was a romance between a human woman and a bee. <laughs> that is a great question to ask a computer. Yeah. Actually. Like, do you detect love? Yeah. <laughs> I really want to. Let do me up this, the difficult yeah. for you. If you do this, please, please email me. There's the a result. great exchange in David's report on this where I think Sundar says, you could fit the entire Lord of the Rings movie into the context window. And David's like, that means that's happened to Google. He said it so without thinking that he was just like, it was, it was as if he had like left the Lord of the Rings meeting right before talking to me. Uh, and I was, I was just like, this definitely happened. right? It's very good. Uh, what's fascinating to me about the, all of this is yes, there's an arms race for developers. 
there are still I, I think we're hitting the same place with AI on a slightly longer time frame as people are hitting on with the Vision Pro on a slightly shorter time frame, which is like it's really cool, fastest consumer adoption history, and now we've all just run into the limits. That's right. Yes. Right. And I think developers love it. Because you can build new apps, it can certainly go get funding from VCs. You can write code with it, which I think people really love to do. And sort of everywhere else, it's like what I can do is produce spam at a higher rate than spam has ever been produced before and turn the internet into a fetid swamp. Oh, the the corporate folks love it. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, I can just have it do all my emails. When I have to do a memo, I just have it write the first draft of my memo for me. And you're like, well, you shouldn't do that. Don't you? You should write. That's important. (laughs) Oh, I, I actually, I think sending corporate emails with AIs. I don't actually send a lot of emails. I yeah. refuse to use enterprise Same. software. Uh, well, not a, that part. The but... thing about me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, like, the idea that some transactional email is better written by AI than you, f- fine. But, like, that is a pretty small use case on the grand order of things. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, David, as you looked at this model, as you played with Ultra, as you've played with the other ones... Do you see that next set of big uses showing up? No. I think there <laughs> there's going to be an increasing kind of creative state of the art. Like one of the other things that happened this week was OpenAI launched Sora, which is its yeah. text to video model. And so I think the kind of state of the art of stuff you can make creatively, there's a just massive room left to go. And there's going to be all kinds of cool stuff on that front. But I think... We've been talking about on the show for a while now, when is the sort of novelty of using these AI chatbots going to wear off? Uh, and we're there. I think it's happening. And and one of the other things I'm starting to see all over social is a lot of people who started paying for Copilot from Microsoft and are now canceling it. And mm. people are starting to sign up for Gemini Advanced uh, with $20 a month. People are starting to goof around with it. And you look at it and it's like the thing so many people keep saying about the Vision Pro is like amazing technology. I, I took it off and kind of never had a reason to put it on again. And I think a lot of people are starting to feel that way, especially in the sort of one-to-one consumer use case about AI stuff. And also, I think that's why all these companies are going after companies. Because if I'm already signed up for this stuff through my organization, like, yeah, I'll use it to make it easier to make charts or whatever. I mean, that was Microsoft's whole strategy, right? Like, get right. Copilot out. Yeah, so but Copilot is 20 bucks a month to make charts easier. Yeah. Yeah, but you're like a IT guy with endless budget at a big company. The days of endless IT budgets are over. Who knows? Right? You can see all these companies are contracting. They're, like, yeah. not spending lots of money. Like, I, that to me is, like, this is the big gap. I will say that I recently set the action button on my iPhone 15 Pro mm-hmm. to open the chat GPT voice assistant, just the cheap one, 3.5, not four, not the one you have to pay for. And it is like, oh, they should just make Siri this. Yep. Like they should throw Siri 100%. away and they should just make Siri this. It is revelatory when you're like the other day, we had to reheat chicken wings from the Super Bowl and I just asked my phone and it said an answer to me. Was that answer correct? Did it lie? How, how are the Did it hallucinate wings? the temperature and the time? It was fine because the stakes were so low. Yeah. I asked it, I asked it twice. Chicken wings is high stakes, though. No, like, they're not reheating. Well, then. It's true. It's, yeah. I was reheating, like, that's, yeah, that's fair. Does it, because I asked it twice, and the first time it said 350 degrees, and the second time it said 375, and I was like, this doesn't matter. <laughs> the stakes are very low here, and I didn't have to trawl the SEO internet. Yeah. 
And Siri, I asked Siri, and what Siri was like, a, I don't know. <laughs> like, if it useless. had said 200, would you have been like in there being like, this feels wrong, but I'll go with it? That's how I would describe the ChatGPT use case. You know, that old Stephen Colbert word, truthiness? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're comfortable with something that just feels right, I really encourage you to set ChatGPT to your action button. So, but actually, that's a really good uh, like example of the problem that all these companies are having, right? Like, Google is essentially ripping and replacing Google Assistant with Gemini for the yeah. same reason. Like, this stuff is going to be better at those things. Would you pay $20 a month for the thing that you just described? Like, no, Absolutely. nobody would. And so there's going to be this, like, mainstream use case for this stuff that no one will pay for. And then there's going to be a ton of money, at least that's what these companies are betting, in the business use cases. But to me, it feels like we are quickly hitting something like a ceiling of what people actually want to do with these things day in and day out. Like a million token context window does not make you better at chicken wings. It just doesn't. And so I think that mm -hmm. next thing for regular people is going to have to come from somewhere else. And there's a bunch of different ways these companies are trying to do it. Uh, OpenAI has been making a bunch of tweaks to like how it builds its models to try and make them sort of smarter and more efficient. It also launched a thing this week called memory where it can actually remember things about you and what you like and your preferences so that it should sort of interact with you in a more human and like friendly way over time. That's the stuff that I think is going to be interesting. Just building bigger models to do more high end stuff is like purely a business play. And I think you're right that $20 per person per month is more money than most companies have to spend at this moment in time. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know which of those things is going to catch up first. Can you imagine spending twenty dollars a month for like possibly right, possibly wrong chicken wings reheating instructions? <laughs> I mean, I think if you just buy chicken wings yeah. at restaurants, you're always it's always you're already, you're already, are they going to be good? Yeah. <laughs> if your chicken wings budget is twenty bucks a month, it's a gamble every time. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Uh, chicken wings are a big deal. They are. Uh, Very important. I want to talk about the other side of the AI debate real quick. Uh, David, you wrote about robots.txt this week. I did. Sarah Jong and I talked about the copyright battles that are uh, facing all these AI companies on Decoder. There's something else here, right? These companies are forging ahead with ever bigger models, ever more use cases, higher prices, and the sort of underlying question of, is it okay to take all this stuff to make the models remains extraordinarily unresolved. Uh, the Sarah Silverman case, a group of authors, including Sarah Silverman, suing OpenAI, they just had a setback in their case. All of the claims except direct copyright infringement, which is a big deal, but all the other claims are thrown out. The judge seemed very skeptical. There, there are some like specific concerns in there that are pretty wonky, so we don't have to go into them, but... That case is getting whittled down. Mm -hmm. I think the Times case against OpenAI is a little bit stronger, so we'll see. But we don't know if these companies can even do it, like whether this is copyright infringement such that the courts just shut down the entire notion of this to begin with, or if the payments that they're required to make become so high that the business models don't work out. All open questions. Right. And then, David, I want you to talk about robots.txt because – there's this little handshake agreement of a text file on every website, and that handshake agreement is like one hand is just crushing the other one, <laughs> and it's like this thing can't support the weight of it, I don't think. Yeah, so I got I got sort of obsessed with this years ago uh, when I first started talking to people about Google AMP for a story I wrote, which was basically like, what is the value exchange on the internet, right? And 
it turns out that a lot of the sort of policing of the internet happens in that file you named robots.txt. If you go to almost any website and then just put a slash robots.txt, it'll pop up a text file that you can see that basically decides which crawlers from around the web are and are not allowed to go onto a website. So crawlers exist for lots of reasons. Many of them are from search engines, which are indexing the web in order to be able to send search results. Amazon has a crawler that checks for pricing around the web for what the government would say are extremely nefarious reasons, and Amazon would say are for legitimate business reasons. You might run a crawler to check all the links on your own site to make sure that they're still live. Like, there are a lot of reasons to run crawlers. And this is like a technology from the early 90s that basically a bunch of people on a mailing list, including like Tim Berners-Lee and Mark Andreessen <laughs> and a bunch of like early internet optimists decided is like, okay, you're just going to put up this thing that says essentially who's in and who's out. And everyone else who makes one of these crawlers is going to abide by those rules because we want the internet to work. We're all cool people. This is going to be great. That worked pretty well for a surprisingly long time. And now what's happening is if you run an AI company and you want to get a bunch of training data, you know what's full of training data is the internet. And so you just go, you crawl the whole internet, you pull all that stuff in, you dump it in and you train your model on it. That's how you get recipes. That's how you get all this stuff. Like you just base it on all the stuff that exists on the public internet. And so now if you're a person who runs a website or a recipe blog or any number of other things on the internet, you have to go in and decide who's in and who's out with a thousand new crawlers, a bunch of companies of varying levels of decency and sketchiness. OpenAI has been in a bunch of like media coverage about this because it actually told people how to block GPT bot and promised to abide by it, and by all accounts is doing so. A huge portion of websites on the internet, including I believe all of Vox Media, blocked GPT bot. Uh, the New York Times did, a lot of publishers have. But there are a lot of things out there that are either too small for now to even be known to these publishers or just don't care. They just don't have to respect this little tiny text file that has no yeah. legal or technical authority. And so any AI that wants to come in just can. And that's just where we are. And we have just like broken this basic give and take that the internet ran on for so long. And like I talked to Tony Stubblebine, the CEO of Medium, who has been a big proponent of... Uh, kicking out the bots in, in this particular way. Uh, and what he said is basically like, we're, we're getting nothing out of this exchange. They're just taking everything from us and telling us that, you know, it's for the good of society and like, screw that. That's not, that's not how the internet works. That's not what we're after. And I think everyone on the internet now is starting to have to make that exact same set of decisions. And what's fascinating is OpenAI only made GPT bot blockable after they had scraped the internet. <laughs> Correct. Like... And I, I honestly think that they did that so that media organizations, and I have, I'm not privy to what Vox Media does at that level. I don't know why they did that or didn't do that. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure they did it so media organizations, companies could block OpenAI and, then, and feel like they had some control. And then OpenAI could go make a deal. Right. And be like, oh, no, we're, you took the control away from us. No, yeah. th that is I, I will say that is precisely why. I mean, I talked yeah. to the OpenAI's chief strategy officer who said basically that exact thing that that it is. This is a way to signal that you would like to make a commercial deal and uh, let's do it. And <laughs> that is a pretty wild way of of backing into something like that. But, yeah, it is. It's not an accident that OpenAI didn't 
tell people about GPT bot until it had already been pretty far down the road. Yeah. Because without doing what it did, it, GPT four and chat GPT wouldn't be as good as they are like that. That is the trade. But then the question is wh- who experiences the downside of that? Like, is that bad for the internet? Is it bad for the world or is it just bad for open AI? It's like, that's the question now. Yeah. And I think individual creators are feeling the pain of this very deeply. Yeah. Uh, even when we just write about neat AI tools, we get people who are sort of morally outraged that we would acknowledge that some of them are neat because it's built on something. It's built on some taking. And whether or not you think that taking is fair or not is sort of divorced from whether it's legal or not. And I I don't know that anyone has quite figured that out, right? You Somebody sh- needs to pop it into Am I the Asshole on Reddit. Like it's a, That's it's what a, you need to do. It's a perfect one, right? <laughs> and then you I'm enter Sam all Alvin, of that into asshole. the million yeah. token Gemini field. That's, like, is this correct? Yeah, and then we, we send it to the judges and we're like, look, we figured it out. The robots figured it out. They, they talk to each other. We got this. We know who the asshole is. That means who legally is right. Again, I keep, I keep coming back to what I, I, I refer to as the endgame post. Yeah. Which is a person who's like, I love podcasts, but I don't have time for them. I just feed them into an AI. And then it's summarized. And it's like, dude, you just want articles. Yeah. <laughs> just go read those. What you want is articles. Like, just go read articles made by people who care about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a very simple, very simple way of getting what you want from the internet. Read. Uh, just read. Like, people would like to read. <laughs> it is amazing that the, the broad future of computing is, like, more reading. Yeah. After all these, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, I think that the turn for these AI companies, for OpenAI, for example, you can signal you want commercial deals, but they're being sued. So if you go out and make a bunch of deals, you're kind of admitting that you need the deals. And the New York Times is going to, or whoever else is suing OpenAI, Getty is doing stability, is going to say, look, you know that you should pay money for this stuff. You didn't pay us to begin with. So you're on the, and I, that is a, strategic nightmare for these companies. It is. And I think James Kwan, the the chief strategy officer at OpenAI I was talking to, one of the things he said is, uh, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, is that OpenAI feels very strongly that chat GPT should be mostly free for most people for exactly that reason. Like that's the value they believe they deliver back to the world is that by giving to this system, you then get access to this system and the, the increase in quality of this system is good for the world and you can have it and it will make your life better. And I think you can view that as like dystopian black mirror nonsense, or you can view that as like a fair trade in the way that Google search was a fair trade. But like that is the dynamic that we're about to reckon with in a lot of really, really messy ways. Yeah. yeah. And what is the most fascinating about all of this, we can bring it all the way back around to Google. No one is going to block the Google bot. Yeah. Like no one thinks well, it should be invisible from search. You can Block. Torrent sites probably would. Uh, I don't know what sometimes. those are. <laughs> Alex's Plex server continues to rock and roll <laughs> in the background. No one's blocking Alex's Plex server. Use now. Um, you can block Google with some gradations. You can block Google search, which no one will do. And then you can block the other stuff. You right. can block Google's AI training. But no one is willing to say, I'm so mad at Google for scraping all of our stuff that we're going to block search. And I think that's when that one flips. And people are like, it is worth it to be invisible to Google. Like, the architecture of the internet changes. Yes. All right. We got to take a break. We're going to come back. The Lightning Round, sponsored by you. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once upon a time in America, there was no such thing as all-you-can-eat shrimp. And then the world changed. Today, shrimp is the most popular, the most consumed seafood in America. The endless shrimp fiesta is an American institution. But that shrimp fiesta comes at a steep price. Here at Gastropod, we found out that hidden behind the delicious shrimp on your plate is environmental disaster and modern-day slavery. So can you have your shrimp and a clear conscience, too? Actually, yes, and we've got the secret to help you unlock true, lifelong shrimp happiness. Listen to the latest episode of Gastropod wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Do you remember when Time Magazine said the person of the year was you? Ugh, yeah. yeah. And it was the, the, the like little mirror. It was in a real mirror. Just like, that was when print magazines had budget to put mirror on the cover of magazines in every grocery store in America and be like, the person here is you. And it was like a foggy, people like holding their carrots. Be like, what? It was all like curvy, warped looking. <laughs> oh, that's I'm not just me. here for milk, not <laughs> conceptual print ideas. So you're saying y'all didn't frame yours and put it up next to your other awards? Is that not, that's not what you did? That's weird. Donald Trump has like the fake one and then like... This one's real. Like, it's me, you guys. He looks at it every day. You know, it's like, like, it is me. I was for real that time. <laughs> all right. I feel like all of my lightning round entries are just complaining about streaming the Super Bowl. So, Kranz, do you want to uh, go first? Mine is, like, I just find it fascinating. Uh, the the big big turn in the, the whole DMA thing with the European Union iMessage is uh, not found to be a, what is it they call it? Gatekeeper. Yeah. iMessage I is not found to be a uh, core platform service. So that you they're not going to make it open up, which feels probably right given that no one in the EU. Well, this is the trade app. Yeah. They've notably made the trade of saying we will support RCS. And I think this is what they got in return. Yeah. So, so they're free and clear, as are my personal favorite Microsoft's Edge browser is not considered a core service, and uh, Bing Search was found to not be a core service. I don't think anybody has ever found Bing Search to be a core <laughs> yeah, service. No. <laughs> I, I just I really loved that it was like, okay, iMessage. I'm like, damn it. And then Edge. And yeah. then Bing. Not you know, even like, oh. the bureaucrats of the European Union to bring <laughs> themselves to regulate Bing. I wonder if they just like chuckled. They're like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, one thing that is really interesting in the mix there is Apple broke web apps in the EU. Mm -hmm. So for a minute, it looked like Apple would support what's called progressive web apps on the iPhone, where you have a web app, you can save it to your home screen, you push the button, it loads up in a wrapper, and it feels just like a normal app. This is great. I think this is like, in terms of out, like that's out. how I do the Verge. Yeah, that's how I do the Verge. That's how I do RCMS when I want to post a quick post really fast. Ooh, that's a, smart. A quick link that Excuse just me. opens up a web wrapper. It's not in Safari. And Apple broke it two betas ago in iOS 17. And they didn't say anything about why. And then today they finally released a statement on their developer portal that's like, 
well, we have to support other browsers in iOS now, other browser engines. And as you know, they all have to be equal. So how could we possibly re-architect all of iOS to support launching a web app in another browser engine from the home screen? So we just shut it off. And it's like, dude, uh, stop doing malicious compliance. Yeah, like that was just like like kicking and screaming. Like that's just yeah. a hissy fit. Like, do you know what platform supports PWAs and allows other browser engines? A Android. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. You can just look at it. It's just whiny. It's, like, don't it's be whiny. the most popular operating system on Earth. Meanwhile, the other browser makers have spent the last few weeks making very clear to everyone that Apple has actually, if anything, made it harder to be a browser maker in the EU now because you essentially have to run many different versions of your app inside your one app. And it's just going to make everyone's life impossible. Apple, yeah. come on. Great job, Apple. Look, we don't talk about this aspect of companies very often. We treat companies as sort of singular entities. There's a real split inside Apple right now between the the suits, basically, the policy and the business folks, and the very idealistic engineers who make the products. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that this EU thing is really pushing on that split in a way that, you know, Apple is a very well-run company. They're, they are mission-driven in their way. But I'm wondering how much of this stuff, where it's like a bunch of pretty bad faith responses to a law that's designed to make computers feel more like computers. Yeah. I, you just wonder, you know, like someone had to like write the code to break all the web apps in the EU. Just like furiously. Yeah. Like just like suit standing over their shoulder. Just like, I hate you so much right now, but I'm yeah. going to write the really good code. Right. Like, yeah. Some lawyer is like, do the malicious compliance. Yeah. You know, and they like file the Jira ticket, and the yeah. Jira ticket is just labeled malicious compliance. <laughs> that's gotta suck. I, that's all yeah, I'm saying. Like that on would the suck. on on decoder, I'm always asking about how decisions are made, but like how a decision actually gets implemented is equally interesting to me. It's like <laughs> someone had to file the Jira uh, ticket. It's like per DMA, break web apps. That there sucks. are just three levers in Tim Cook's office. One of them says <laughs> ship the thing. The other one says. Uh, by that company, and the third one just says malicious compliance. <laughs> <laughs> and he just pulls it and just like lights start flashing all over Apple Park. And that's how everybody knows. Yeah. I don't know. There's something weird there that I, you know, I, again, we usually think of companies as like singular entities. Yeah. Like there's Tim Cook and arms, you know, like, <laughs> and like Tim Cook is in control of all the arms or sooner or later, and arms and the arms are like, who are you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you made a messaging app? Uh, but these companies are tens of thousands of people, if not 100,000 people, at, when they're at their biggest. Yeah. And they are not singular in that way. And I, this is the sort of thing that I think – I get that Apple's very mad at the Europeans. My caution is this is the sort of thing that breaks a very idealistic culture because you have to make everyone believe that you are totally right. Yeah. Yeah. And that this little move, which is not a very – which is a very cynical kind of move – is actually Petty. is actually somehow idealistic in turn. That's just complicated. Yeah. All right. I basically did a lightning round under your lightning round. It was great. A sub. Sub. Well, yeah, we have like it an in aftershock. The thing. There's like a sub lightning round under. You it. can so sponsor an aftershock. <laughs> I don't know how to take <laughs> the money. I was just about to say that. <laughs> All right, David. What's yours? Uh, mine. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna aftershock when we start complaining about the Super Bowl. So I'll come back to that. Um, mine was just there was this news this week from a Wall Street Journal report that Walmart might buy Vizio, yeah, uh, 
which I just find deeply fascinating. Uh, and also kind of to be a bummer. I feel like it wasn't that long ago that we thought Vizio had a chance to be a really interesting mm. forward-thinking player yeah, in that TVs. was 2011. I wrote yeah, a profile like, of Vizio in 2011. Was that 2011? It was, yeah, it was like when we launched. Yeah, Echo I guess was, right. was supposed to buy Vizio in, what, 2017? Yeah. And then... After that, it just kind of started to slow. The echo. I totally forgot. Remember yeah. them? And they came, they were like, TV. And then they disappeared, and then I could not get them to take the TV back. Didn't they make a car at one point? Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. That was a truly weird. Yeah. Like, oh my that God. was just a psyop. That was a Chinese government psyop. <laughs> I loved that company. That was a good time. Uh, but, but anyway. Yeah, but you remember, the, in 2011, I wrote the profile of Vizio. Uh, this guy, Matt McRae, was the CTO. He was a lot of fun. Do you remember they put out Windows laptops and kept saying they were bone stock? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was, it was, that. All that was great. And they they kept on the trying to expand by doing like fan service, and the TV business was just their business. Matt is now the CEO of Arlo Cameras. Uh, and I think Vizio is just like really – they tried so many interesting things. Remember when the TVs were just Chromecast? Yep. Yeah, I, I have one of those. Oh, boy. But that's what everybody wanted. In this practice, is like actually no. they had right, like the Android tablet revealed. that was the remote, right? I know. Yeah. I don't know where it is. <laughs> but this is what I mean about revealed preferences. My house Everyone day. in our audience is like, I don't want a smart TV. I just want a panel. And then they like ship the thing. But it had no remote. We wanted a remote. <laughs> I still want to be able to turn up the volume without having to charge my Everyone damn is like, I just want a dumb TV. I don't want that. And, and then they shipped it. And they're like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. I want. Give me a smart TV. I like yeah. the day the update came, and I like I I didn't even it must have come months in advance, and I turned that TV on because it's like my bedroom TV, so it's never yeah. on. I turned it on, and I was like, oh, my Vizio is smart now, and it was much more usable. And yeah. then I was very upset because I was like, that wasn't the promise. Yeah, I got bummed. It's revealed preferences, man. Everyone wants to run some weird data tracking smart TV <laughs> operating system. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so two billion dollars Walmart wants to buy Vizio. Yeah, and it just feels like. That's a lot of money also uh, to basically improve its house brand of TVs, which is essentially what Walmart would be doing. Um, yeah. I would remind you that its existing house brand is called On with two N's. So yeah. I would spend $2 billion to not have On with two N's as my yeah. house brand of anything. Like Vizio's kind of gotten bodied by TCL and, and Hisense in the last few years in the budget TV market. So it's... Yeah, like, what a bleak statement, though, right? Yeah, like, that, like, the fact that that is true, and that is true, yeah. is so... It's such a bummer, it's so, the yeah, place watching the TV Vizio market is right now. go from, like, it was such a good company because, okay, you could get the TV in, and it wouldn't necessarily be like... Like, you'd have to fiddle with it. You'd have to mess around. But then it could look really, really pretty, and you'd be like, oh, holy crap, I spent, like, half of what I could have spent on an LG, and I have a great-looking TV. And now that's just not quite the case anymore yeah. and now they the whole tv like, business is collecting data on people who watch you while you put up your webcam vizio into neil's living first. room yeah vizio is is has been yeah, doing that yeah like vizio was vizio was a was a really uh, a thought leader in that department for a <laughs> while there uh unfortunate for all of us well that's how they made the tvs cheap i mean this yeah. was yeah I, that I was would... their sub like they, they essentially subsidized it and, and and then roku came in and was like we can do it better because our our operating system is actually usable, and and that's why Roku like partnered with Hisense. That's why they partnered with with TCL, and and now Roku is this really dominant force in advertising and in TVs. And Vizio is off in the corner, being like, "Let go! I blame you for everything." <laughs> well, Roku also came to people and said, "We have an advertising business that we'll give you a cut of," and. <laughs> 
that has become a business for Walmart that it thinks it can do more. Like, it's just all, this is a lot of money being thrown around for big deals and big companies, and none of it is about making good televisions. And that yeah. just sucks. That sucks. You know, it's a great television. It's Sony A95. <laughs> that watches you while you're I know. I unplugged the TV. camera and I turned all this stuff like, off. Try to join another meeting with that TV. Tell us how great it's it is. It's not going to happen. <laughs> we're, we're done messing with the uh, features of the television. Did you have to like go and put the webcam back in a box? Oh, I, the webcam was like quickly discarded. Yes. Yeah. I've got, I, I've got a drawer that I just think of as the e-waste drawer. Yeah. And it's like maybe one day I'll be like, where is that webcam? And I'm going to open the e-waste drawer. It's going to be great. Speaking of, let's complain about the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right. I have a lot to say about this whole situation. Uh, it is an embarrassment that in America, on the most watched Super Bowl ever, oh, Lord, where America's sweetheart did something with Travis Kelsey on that field. She won the Super Bowl. She won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Actually, can I just say this other? You know, there's a video clip of them running to each other after uh-huh. the Super Bowl, and she like hug each other, and then finally the clip with the audio came out because he was mic'd up. Yeah, and he's like, "I love you. Thank you for Aww. coming. I appreciate you. Thank you for flying halfway out in the world." And then he says, "Was it electric?" And she's like, "It was unbelievable." <laughs> I have asked Becky if shit was electric like 50 times a day <laughs> since I've seen that clip. Like I'm like pouring the coffee. I'm like, was it electric? <laughs> Easily the best thing to come out of the entire Taylor Swift, Travis best Kelsey story on It's just constantly asking Becky if things are, and she's like, no. <laughs> like she's, she does not think it was unbelievable. Shut down immediately. <laughs> no. Anyway, so uh, Super Bowl not streamed in 4K, but kind of streamed in 4K. So on Paramount Plus, I think, David, that's where you watched it. That is where I watched it. That's it where 10, I watched 80, 30 minutes of it. Uh, they only gave a 4K stream to cable companies. So nothing direct from CBS. Mm-hmm. So if you had cable or direct TV, you could switch to a 4K CBS channel, which was upscaled 1080p HDR. <laughs> so it already looked weird. Uh, uh, one of the most vibrant cable companies in America is YouTube. So YouTube TV, you can pay for the 4K add-on, which I churned off of ages ago because it was not worth it. Uh, so I paid the 10 bucks for 4K mm-hmm. for the month. Uh and I go to watch it, and the bitrate keeps crashing on yeah. YouTube TV. Just like I'm watching my router, it starts, you know, at like <laughs> yeah. 15 or 20 or whatever the 4K stream would be at. Uh, not even that high. It's like eight. Uh, and then it just like <laughs> just dropped like a stone. That's brutal. And I kept switching back to the 1080p feed on CBS, and it looked great. Why didn't you so switch like, over? It's not my internet. Switch over to Nickelodeon. <laughs> Everyone told me the Nickelodeon stream looked great. It was it looked beautiful. Yeah. Dora the Explorer explained what illegal holding is. That's fantastic. And now I know. Uh, at the end, they they slimed everyone, I believe, on the field. Yeah, that uh, was good. Uh, just a disaster. And some people thought it was working great, but I posted on threads, like, this bitrate keeps crashing. And too many people agreed with me yeah. that it was a bad experience for me to think that it was, like, my internet. Uh, I switched from the Apple TV, YouTube TV app, to the Android app on the Sony TV, assuming that Google would... You know, like a good gatekeeper yeah. with preference its own service on its own operating system. It worked for slightly longer. It worked oh. for five minutes before it crashed. Uh, but then it, then it crashed. Well, we hope it will make sense over time. <laughs> <laughs> is Max Sports or whatever this new Super Sports streaming service called, is that going to save the Super Bowl? Once, once the Super Bowl does not need to be saved. Well, you know, like 
save it from bad streaming experiences. I, I just think it is fundamentally embarrassing that we as a nation <laughs> cannot figure this out. Like you go to watch soccer in in England and they're like, it's 10 4K feeds anywhere you want to be. It's free. And also there's free health care. And like, what are we doing? As you said that, I saw like an American flag drop behind you. And I just like heard the the, the American music. Oh, yeah. Someone's going to mad at me for not being sufficiently patriotic that we have to watch upscaled 1080p. No, no. I thought that was the most patriotic thing I've seen in a while. <laughs> we have to figure this out. Fix Vote the Super Bowl. I also, speaking of sports... I made a, a big gaffe last week because uh, I, I mistakenly said that Fox Sports channels are owned by Disney, and that is only true in, I believe, Argentina and some parts of South America. That's where all our listeners are. It's fine. Yeah. It is not owned by uh, Disney in America, where it is owned by Fox. Fox. Right, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. It's, it's still owned by Rupert. I, I forgot. But but Disney does own it, just just not in this country. I'm sorry. I would just like to say two things about that. One, we screwed that up and it was complicated. It was very embarrassing. I was annoyed. Two, it makes this whole thing even funnier because it now (laughs) is even more like Hulu. It is three direct competitors being like, let's be best friends. We'll figure this out. Yeah. It's It's, fantastic. It's so good. And it's also very funny if you go and look at Fox Sports on like the Wikipedia page and it says current owners and there's a list of like six current owners (laughs) depending on what region you're in. I was like, that's good. Help out. Come on, Fox. Like, yeah. just one company own the company, please. No, that's not. Rupert's breaking up his empire. Yeah. And by the way, you need Fox Sports because you have to have Fox Sports because of football. I mean, I don't. But, but look, the cable companies do. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. And to get Fox Sports, you have to carry Fox News. Right. That's a real thing. Mm. They leverage each other. Fox News, I mean, it I is have a lot like- of feelings about Fox News. Fox News on its own popular, but they are a bundle deal. Yeah, they are unstoppable. You can't get football without taking the other thing that's yeah. not that's not a choice for you right um which many cable operators have always sort of like been aware of yeah that's america yeah uh, all i'm saying is we can stream in 4k how was paramount plus i know you watched on paramount okay plus. i would just like to briefly complain about this uh yeah. i try not to use the verge as a place to be annoyed at customer service things but paramount plus sucked for me during the super bowl and i'm very Aww. upset about it so for a while uh, it just didn't work at all. It would throw up like a mysterious, a bad thing happened. We don't know. Try again. <laughs> and then I would try again and it wouldn't work. But eventually it worked and it actually streamed fine and looked fine. But this incredible thing kept happening, which is that the audio would get about eight seconds ahead of the video. And so literally every single time the play would have just finished before I saw the play. So Jim Nance would be like shouting about how Brandon Ayuk caught it for 20 yards right as they're snapping the ball. It made it so unpleasant to watch this game. It was like I literally stopped looking at it for a while. I was like, I'm going to listen to this like it's radio. Uh, And Tony Romo's just going to say nonsensical things at me. But it was just, I kept, I would like try to pause and you can't because it's live and it's illegal to pause things or something. I would go out of the app and come back in and it would work fine and then go back to being off by about the same amount. I rebooted my TV at one point. I did the whole Roku reboot at one point. That's bad. Oh, you were on a Roku. See, there was your problem. Those it's... letters bouncing at you when you want to watch TV and, and they're just like, doo, doo, doo. oh my gosh. You're like, you got your food right in front of you. Nightmare. Or, uh, yeah. I'm telling you, watching those letters bounce when you reboot a Roku and you're just trying to get there. And if, was there anyone else in the room with you? It's like they're taunting you. Yeah. <laughs> 
I also think this was also a little bit like Paramount was getting back at David, particularly because he makes fun of how much I enjoy Paramount. Plus. I have said a lot <laughs> of mean like, things about okay. Paramount Plus, yeah. so I did deserve this. But yeah, like, this we're is... square now, Paramount. <laughs> Listen, Sherry Redstone, we're cool what, now. What 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 heartened me uh-huh. was the number of people responding to my complaints about streaming sports and internet by telling me to get an antenna. And I thought yeah. of you, Alex. Aww. Uh, I did not dig out an antenna with. <laughs> Yeah. 15 people in my home. <laughs> like, like I've already switched operating systems. I'm, we're not doing antenna runs right now. It's great. It's a good time. Uh, we did watch the halftime show at the low bit rate because I couldn't switch it to the other stream in the middle. Did you watch? Oh, can I complain about TV another version? thing about Paramount Plus? Yeah. yeah. So I, like the genius that I am, opened up Paramount Plus after one of my many reboots clicked on the thing that said the football game and it took me to a separate channel where they were talking about the football game. So I was like, oh, this is just the halftime show before the thing. And then Anna, my wife, gets a text from her friend being like, oh, are you watching Usher? He's sick. And I'm sitting there (laughs) telling her that it must not have started yet. And it turns out that when I clicked on football, it didn't click on football. It clicked on something else for me and didn't. So I missed like three quarters of Usher because it didn't select the thing that it was supposed to select. You you can watch it on the Apple TV app. You're doing great, David. I'm still angry. I feel like a lot of your choices are your fault. Usher took his shirt off, Neelai, and I missed it. I missed it. You did. I did did. see the roller skates, though, so it was okay. The roller skates were sick. Can I just say, it was electric? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to just do a quick Atmos music update for everyone. Uh, We installed the big home theater in our house. It's done. If you've been listening to Virtual House since September when we moved into our new house, in the background has been construction sounds every time I record from my house because we've just been renovating. Uh, it's done now. Mm-hmm. Only two things that need to be done. Who knows if they'll ever get done. But the, it's done. And the TVs are done. And we have a 5.1.4 Atmos system. It's it's cool. Yeah. I like it. And so I texted a friend who believes in Atmos music more than I do. I said, this is as much of a chance as I can ever give this boondoggle. And he sent me a list of things to listen to. Uh, Random Access Memories by Daft Punk, mm-hmm. uh, the Dua Lipa record, a uh, bunch of other stuff. And so I like, listened to it. I was also told that Amazon Music is better. Uh, it's, it, they, their codec is better than Apple. So I, I compare, I'm doing my best. Yeah. Really running into ground. Two things I've discovered. One... The only idea anyone has is putting percussion accents behind you. <laughs> like someone cowbell. someone rings a cowbell and it's like behind you. It's like ding, ding, ding. like every song with anything like that. Like a tom fill, <laughs> that's going around you. And that's that's what we got. Yeah. And we've solved that problem. Like in the manual of how to remix a song for Atmos, it's like if there's any sort of percussion accent behind, get it back there. Two, and I've been joking about this for, I want to say, over a year, in the Atmos remix of Come Together by the Beatles, George Harrison sneaks up behind you playing the guitar. <laughs> this is your dream. You've was been waiting like for this. Was it a slow sneak? Was it? No. It, yeah. It, 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 um, it's at the very end. Uh-huh. You know, there's like little, just like a little guitar like yeah. happening, come together, and it starts behind you. And then it comes in front of you. It was like he was in the room with you. Like each successive one gets closer and closer, and then it's in front of you at the end. 
And uh, you have to understand, I'm like, I'm like listening to this at like 11.45 p.m. alone, just cracking up, just losing my mind. Like, this is the funniest thing that's ever happened. It's just like me rewinding come together over and over again and be like, no, that's real. It's very good. I encourage everyone to listen to it. The, we, we're done here. Atmos has been completed. You've solved it. It actually happened. Uh, it's 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 very funny. It's like deeply meaningfully funny. Uh, if you know of any other songs where the guitar player sneaks up from, <laughs> please let me know. It is my now my go to demo song. Dare I say it's electric? <laughs> All right, we got we got to end the show. Tom will be on to talk about some actual news that happened uh, with Microsoft soon. Uh, we are now in the main YouTube channel, so go listen there. Uh, I want to call out, we started the second episode of Decoder. Uh, so we have two every week now. We On Mondays, we do the big interviews, CEOs and so on. Uh, and then on Thursdays, uh, we run an explainer with Verge Reporters and other friends of the show just figuring out big topics. This week was AI and copyright law, which is why I'm bringing it up with Sarah Jong, who is wonderful. It's a good one. And it's like it'll anyone who has been listening to us rant and rave about that will enjoy that. You should go yeah, it's a good that. one. And then, David, you've got a big right to repair story on the Tuesday episode of Virtuous this week. Yeah, right? so Will Poor, our newest producer, has been uh, running around basically trying to figure out what in the world all of this right to repair stuff actually means. Uh, and he's going to spend a bunch of time this year telling us sort of different stories from different parts of the right to repair world. And his first one is coming on Tuesday. Uh, so the episode's going to be that. And Tom, it's going to be a fun episode. Uh, definitely stay tuned. Will's just going to fix stuff. So mail him your broken gadgets. The end of this is definitely Will opens a repair shop. Like, there's just no question that's not how this ends. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> finally. Finally, you're on one of those those kiosks in the mall that can <laughs> change your bad. It's always been our dream. And then All he'll right, sponsor that- the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we call them aftershocks or shockwaves? Let us know. Vergecast at theverge.com. Uh, that's it. That's Vergecast. Rock and roll. And that's it for the Vergecast this week. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-VERGE-11. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. Our show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. That's it. We'll see you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 